The sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is November 6, 2020. The 2021 match season is in full development. We have reviewed many applications and interviews will begin this coming week. We wish luck to all of our candidates. May you find a residency that meets and exceeds your expectations and provides you the training that you want. Today we present a bonus episode to remember our program history. How did this residency program start? Who helped with the foundation of the program? What improvements are expected for the future? We will answer these and other questions in this bonus episode, and you will hear from some of the founders of the program. Stay tuned. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California, sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, providing compassionate and affordable care since 1971. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Edmund Burke Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of our podcast and today is a special episode because uh, it's not going to be addressing any topic in specific about medicine, but we're going to be talking about our history. I thought that would be a good idea to record our history because I know that many facts and many many anecdotes will be forgotten in the future but so it's good to to keep a good memory of this so this quote that was just read by Suraj is very relevant especially because by the time you listen to this podcast you will know who the president of the United States is I have no idea today is election day today is November 3rd uh, but this episode has been pre-recorded. So congratulations to the winner. We hope that you make good decisions for the people of America. And we hope that America can continue to be the great place to live that has always been. Uh, good men need to be actively engaged in improving our society. Whatever your role is in society. Uh, otherwise, the evil will prevail and chaos, suffering, and misery will spread out all over the place. I think a residency program is an example of good things that have been done by good people because I can see the results or the fruits of this labor. We will listen today to an interview done by Dr. Manzanares, who is our current chief resident. She interviewed Mr. Schilling, who is a former CEO of Clinica Ceravista, and founder of the program, of this residency program. Sandra Lopez, our first residency coordinator, will also share her thoughts, her anecdotes with us, and we will also hear from two graduates of our third class, Dr. Cindy Hare and Dr. Fernando Palacios. And then Dr. Stewart will close the episode sharing her vision for the future of the program. So I hope you enjoy it. So let the interrogation begin. You bet. <laughs> so first of all, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, my name is Steve Schilling. I'm a past uh, former CEO uh, at Clinica Sierra Vista. Back uh, started there in 1973, um, and we retired in uh, early uh, 20, 
uh, uh, 18, uh, in January of 2018, and relocated with my family up here to Oregon. Uh, spent uh, 44 plus years, plus or minus years, at Clinica. Wow. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, job and a great career, and I loved it. We did some really wonderful and exciting things and, and built the program during that period of time into one of the most prominent uh, community health center uh, primary care networks in the nation. You know, it was um, it was an exciting job. It was uh, it fed my soul and, uh, and met my own personal uh, wishes for having a, a career that uh, was important to me and was important to the community. Um, very and cool. That was, uh, yeah. That was really, uh, that was pretty, uh, pretty one of a kind. Very cool. So CSV, this huge growing organization, done tons of great things. So what motivated you to get CSV involved with graduate medical education and residents and stuff? Well, for, you know, the entire period of my time there prior to the 2010-2012 period, we had always struggled and had huge challenges in the recruitment of important uh, medical uh, professionals, especially physicians, mm-hmm. uh, was always challenging. We uh, live in a, a, a challenging part of California, a very poor, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat isolated part of the state, uh, maybe not the place that everybody uh, picks out of, a, out of an atlas to decide to <laughs> spend their, their careers at, uh, but certainly a very... Uh, at risk, uh, very needy, very large, very low income, very racially and ethnically diverse uh, population that really needed um, good medical uh, and healthcare professionals. And so we really, you know, spent a great deal of effort and energy and resources trying to uh, get folks to to join with us. We took advantage of, of every conceivable program we could find, the National Health Service Corps and programs like that. Uh, for years, lots of us in the health center world were, were discussing the idea of having relationships with teaching institutions, and on occasion, we would have affiliations with universities and medical schools, and we'd have, like, for instance, rotations of residents. I had a program in place for many years with UC Irvine, where we had family medicine residents come up and spend a month with us, but those programs just never really uh, built the kind of pipeline we were hoping to create. and. Along about that time, a lot of us at the uh, uh, health center, uh, you know, National Association of Community Health Centers and others began to explore the idea of what if we created our own uh, residency programs. And the up, the outcome of that kind of discussion was the creation of a legislation in 2010 uh, called the Teaching Health Center uh, Law. And uh, lots of us worked uh, on the origins of that and on the helping it uh, move its way through the Congress. And it was eventually established uh, in 2010, 2011. And not everybody jumped right into the, into the action. Uh, I was aware of a, of a gentleman, Dr. Broderick, up in Modesto, who had uh, developed a residency program up there in, in, consult, in, in conjunction with several hospitals in that community and was called the Valley Consortium. And Dr. Broderick eventually applied for and received funding from the Teaching Health Center program. And I believe he, at that point, was the only, the, the very first and only Teaching Health Center approved in the country, certainly in the first round. And 
so I visited with him and, and a lot of us in the valley uh, from Fresno and, and Sacramento and so forth. In that area, we were talking about, well, maybe it was time for us to do the same kind of a thing. And I had always uh, chatted occasionally with uh, Dr. Dowling down at UCLA. And periodically, we would uh, run across uh, IMG uh, students, uh, international medical graduates, uh, in his program there at UCLA. And I know you both are very familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we talked with him. Uh, he was certainly very supportive of the idea of health centers becoming a sponsor of graduate medical education. And that ultimately culminated in our going ahead and uh, deciding to do a consortium model up in Fresno in tandem with community medical centers um, and with a couple other smaller com- uh, community health centers up in the Fresno area. And so that uh, residency program sort of got off the ground. Uh, Dr. Dowling had been certainly helping in that and, and counseling and giving us guidance. Uh, Dr. Broderick up in Modesto had been supportive of that idea. And eventually that got funded uh, as a teaching health center. And then just about a year or two after that uh, program uh, got underway, and it was housed at our Fresno facilities, um, and the residents were shared among the various institutions up there. It was sort of a collective effort, not just an individual organizational effort like our Rio Bravo program. Um, about a year after that, the County Board of Supervisors there in Kern County, uh, struggling with some huge uh, operational and financial challenges at Kern Medical Center were looking for how they could save money and how they could cut some costs. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think it was probably not a particularly smart move on their part, but nonetheless one that they decided to pursue uh, because I really think it was a, a short-sighted of them to think in those uh, regards. Uh, but they went ahead and decided to uh, close down their family medicine residency program. And about that time, I said, no, don't close it. <laughs> Why don't you pass it along? And so we applied for uh, teaching health center funding. Uh, Dr. Broderick, uh, Dr. Dowling and Dr. Bolot uh, were providing uh, counsel and guidance and helped us with preparing, preparing our, uh, I think it was called a PIF. Is it called a PIF? What is okay. it called, Hector? I can't, I'm trying to remember what the document is that you you submit to the ACGME. But at any rate, we we prepared that document, had some help doing it, uh, and were approved for funding. Um, and we're excited and therefore began our adventures into graduate medical education in around, I think, 13, 14, something like 2014. How in the world did you convince Dr. Stewart to come to Bakersfield? Well, Again, I would credit Dr. Dowling and Dr. Bolat a lot uh, with a lot of that. Uh, Carol had, Dr. Stewart had been on the faculty at UCLA with them uh, for a a period of time. And I think she was uh, uh, enjoying her work and certainly enjoying her efforts in graduate medical education. Um, But I think she also thought, you know, and you could ask her this, but my recollections are that she always really wanted to have her own program and be a program director. 
And the likelihood of having that happen down at, at UCLA was pretty slim. It's a huge program. Uh, people were maybe ahead of her in, in line uh, for running their own programs. And um, Carol, I think, was ready for a, a, a challenge and a change and wanted to explore the idea of, uh, of uh, running uh, her own program as a program director. And I'm sure Pat Dowling and Michelle and others lobbied her. Um, uh, and I tried to lobby her. I, 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 I made it attractive for her to think about moving up to Bakersfield, a little different kind of a world than she'd ever lived in before. Uh, but actually, I think she was ready for the move and, and ready for a new community and a new challenge. Um, and, you know, everything all came together at one time and Carol came on board. So that was a, a really critical part of our success. Uh, you got to have a really good program director uh, to make this all work. You got to have funding. You got to have a great hospital partner. There's just a whole bunch of parts to the puzzle that have to be in place to make this all happen. And, and so uh, it came together and Carol came on board. So, you know, in, in its inception, how did you come up with the name? Uh, Rio Bravo was the original Spanish name for the Kern River um, that flows through uh, Bakersfield there. Rio Bravo is like Clinica Sierra Vista, you know, it has a, a Spanish, Latino Latinx flair to it. We, we still want to keep our roots in place. We want to make sure that our predominant patient population is connected in a fashion to our name and, and to where we're heading. Um, and so it just was a unique kind of a name and it, everybody kind of went along with it and that's how we got it. So, and how did you choose the location? Like the, the East Niles Clinic? Well, yeah, that that was fairly easy. I mean, here here's what was happening. At that same time, the planning and development of East Niles, about the same time that we were beginning the discussions about taking over the residency program. Um, and as those uh, came into fruition, in fact, the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program was first located down on uh, in Greenfield um, at that facility. And uh, it, it was housed there for a few months while we were finishing up the East Niles facility. But we designed, we were able to design the East Niles facility with uh, medical education, graduate medical education in mind as the preeminent predominant staffing model. And so that's why we ended up with office space and residency uh, offices and uh, teaching classrooms and kind of the space that you people uh, have there you've now grown so you're a larger program which means it's probably more more jammed in there than before uh, but we we sort of designed East Niles with the residency program in mind and so things sort of happened all at the same time be careful with this one I have another question so I, I have to ask you how did you choose your first class being mindful that I have Dr. Ariasa with me who is a well, member of the first class so yeah uh, well, it was an adventure. It was very. We, we were very careful. Very carefully, we we chose our first class. Um, I think it scared, it scared us to death. I mean, I'd <laughs> had some experience uh, with residency selection up in the Fresno uh, program there, so I had one season under my belt. I had a lot of years of hiring clinicians, and I kind of had an idea of what we were 
hoping to find. Um, but, you know, it was sort of, um, we, we sort of stepped into this um, somewhat blindly, uh, but with, you know, with an overriding um, perspective that we really were hoping to find people that would relate and identify with our patient community and who potentially would be people that we could have a chance of keeping in the community upon the completion of their training. It wasn't a requirement with Rio Bravo be able to maybe turn that around a little bit. Hopefully that with the knowledge that lots of young people who um, enter into medical residency programs uh, very commonly, very often, the literature is pretty, pretty significantly broad in this area. That, that if you train in a particular area and you, you really are happy and you're, you, you've really been excited about your medical uh, professional education, that very commonly you may stay in those communities. And we knew that, and so we were always looking for uh, people that potentially we had a chance uh, with that might be able to stay. And so we did everything in our power to try to select. Um, and she was telling me that I think this last year's class all stayed. Yep. So there's 23 graduates in total and 17 have stayed in the Central Valley. 20 of the 23 graduates have stayed in underserved areas and 14 have stayed in Bakersfield. So that's wow. incredible. And that's over the life of the program? Uh-huh. I can remember reading statistics about how many people of color had actually finished graduate medical education residency programs in family medicine. And it was just puny, um, you know, back in the eighties, you know, or in the, in the dark ages, the eighties or the nineties, there were just handfuls of people, even in California with a much more diverse population than maybe some other States, even in California, there weren't that many, young people finishing med school and heading into the uh, family medicine primary care arena. Um, and so, you know, this is what we were dealing with. We were really hoping to find uh, providers that would identify and be identified by our patients as well as being connected to them, both linguistically and culturally. And that was really something we, we really focused on. Yeah. That's really neat to see that your vision kind of carries on and, Oh, that's, that's superb. That's just They're wonderful. awesome, you know. Yeah. They, they no, really carried great. out your vision, so. Yeah. No, that's really great. And there's also been, I remember when I was leaving, there was, you know, sort of friends of friends or relatives or mm -hmm. um, boyfriends and girlfriends, <laughs> <laughs> significant others and people who knew people from their training programs back in their other, uh, either their other countries or their other uh, offshore teaching programs or what have you. That, that there was beginning to be sort of this sort of self-referral or um, collective communal referral system of, hey, I've got this person I went to school with in Cuba and et cetera, et cetera. And, and what do you think? And I'm going to have them apply over here, too. And so we did that. I mean, we we certainly encouraged that. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Dowling, of course, and Michelle were always interested in, in uh, promoting uh, IMG kids uh, to our program. And we were certainly interested in, in talking to them. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ross kids, young people were uh, of course involved at KMC. 
on the medical school side. So we had an opportunity for our residents and the Ross people to get to know one another um, during their respective academic years. And then many times that just translated into, well, I'm going to stick around here and I'm going to stay on and do my residency here. So that worked as well. Another fun fact, um, we did a little bit of math here. Um, each resident sees 1,650 patients in clinic and 1,040 mm. patients in the hospital before graduation as a requirement, as a minimum requirement. So that maths out to be 61,870 patients have been seen by the four groups of graduates oh, in five wow. years. So even, you know, before they become attendings, our, our graduates are really contributing to the community and seeing a lot of yeah. folks and taking yeah. care of a lot of things. So. Well, it's a privilege to talk with you. I, I'm, you make my day. It, uh, it, uh, it, it thrills my heart to know that what we work to, to begin and to start uh, has become such a significant part of the health, um, health, ultimately the health outcomes of that community, uh, advantaged by the work of, of, the, of the medical residents. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to hear it. Um, makes me feel really good. Here's another fun fact. Our program was initially housed in the Greenfield Community Health Center until March 2015, when we finally opened the East Niles Community Health Center to the public. And now I'd like to introduce our first program coordinator, Sandra Lopez, with her thoughts on the program and how she came here and some words for the residents to carry with them into the future. I think uh, the beginnings of the program were the, my best memories of all. Um, being able to help work with Dr. Stewart and our first class of residents was a feather in my cap for me because of meeting all these unique personalities and educated physicians from all over the world, it was an education for myself. Yep. What I found most important was that they all had the same goal in wanting to help the underserved. And ever since I was in college, I can remember being very active in for the people. And that's what I felt for these six individuals that came in and Dr. Stewart, who came in with the heart of gold for these people that she wanted to teach. And I always wondered, you know, why was I there? And I thought, okay, Lord, because I've always put my God first and always asked him to use me as an instrument in showing others that we have to give back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everybody feels that way, but all six of the first class were, like, awesome. And I can't ask for any better memories than that. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know... I'm, I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable place right now. Okay. Who, who was your favorite resident? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everyone had... Uh, a special gift in my heart well, that you... they they gave me. Of, of course, Dr. Ballard and Dr. Romero would tell me, Sandra, he's your favorite. No, Sandra, he, he's your favorite. And I'll, I would say, 
You're both my favorite. I love you both. Yeah. No, yeah. And everybody knows that your favorite was Adan, so it's fine. We're, we're, we're all happy with that anyways. You know, having the human resources background and the credentialing background. And I did not apply for the job because I wanted it. They came to me and asked me if I would be interested. And I hadn't even thought about making a change in my my job. But when I did, it was the best job that I think I can say I've had as one of my favorites in my my history. You know, because I worked for the church for many years and that was giving back. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, and I think you, Sandra, had the right personality to be the first program, program coordinator because, you know, you were very... Um, focused on the details and everything everything was set up the right way so i think uh you were the right person for that position and uh, in a certain way you became you know the mother of the program basically so it was very nice to have you uh, by our side and help us you know support the the mission of the program so that was very cool and um also i wanted to know if you have any memory of any anecdote that you want to share with us? Well, there was the uh, patient that was admitted to Kern Medical during um, the first year's time. And this patient was from another country. And our residents, Dr. Ballard and Dr. Romero, became passionate about helping this gentleman to get back to his country. And when I look at all of these people that come to be treated, it is my people. Yeah. And no matter where they're from. Yeah. So And so that's what I see when I see these people. And Dr. Ballard and Dr. Romero took it upon themselves to get this person to back to his country, to his family, so that he could die in his country. He had a terminal disease. I remember um, I, I was not in the service at that time in, in the inpatient service, but Dr. Stewart sent me a text saying, hey, Hector, do you have a Bible by any chance? And I was like, sure, why not? So I found a Bible in Spanish for that patient too. And I remember one day Dr. Stewart was talking about um, this gentleman and she said uh, something that I will always remember. She said that he is the one who is picking up the vegetables and the fruits that we put on our on our table for our children, you know, and uh, that made me think about the importance of our farm workers, and it's basically the population that we serve in this residency program. So uh, I think it was a very good, very good story, and uh, and I'm I'm thankful that you are rem reminding us about that that story, about that beautiful story. So making sure that we take care of the people taking care of us is important. And making sure that they're getting the um, food and clothing that they need to continue to do their work here in the United States. And that's why we need to take care of the migrants, farmers, and everyone else that needs health care. Yeah. So, Sandra, do you have a message for the future classes of the, you know, the residency that might be listening to the podcast in, in the future? You know, in, in uh, getting to know all of my residents that come there, you know, we're not, we're here to serve others. So 
whenever I did my job, I remember I was a servant and it's to give back, not to take from. And when you see somebody in need, treat them like you're the, they're your family with love and kindness. Yeah. And with all the knowledge that they get from books and from all mm -hmm. the, the science that we have now. So, yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Sandra, for taking the call today. And, uh, and I'm sure that this is going to be a good message for all the residents, the current residents and the future residents, too. So thank you so much for your effort, for your sacrifices, for your guidance, for your support. It's been a great program because of you, too. Thank well, you. thank you. Here's another fun fact for you. Each resident sees a minimum of 1,650 patients in clinic and 1,040 patients in a hospital before graduation. That's 2,690 patients per resident total. And with a total of 23 graduates, that's about 61,870 patients seen by our graduates. And that does not conclude the patients seen by all other residents in the program. And our next interviewee will be Cindy Herr, a member of the first class of Rio Bravo. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Pioneer, man, that makes us sound so old, Hector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would just say we're the first class. But one thing that I really enjoy about being the first class, kind of, you know, along the name of the Pioneer, is the ability to... Um, you know, work with Dr. Stewart and design the program. Um, she was very receptive to our opinions, our feedback. You know, we helped develop the course. Um, we, you know, worked with the staff members and everybody to kind of get our call room eventually. Um, so that was like memorable things about um, being the first class is to continuously help and build and develop the program. That I really enjoy. Um, yeah, so, those were the fun stuff that I remember doing. Well, just an anecdote, and Cindy. So my first project in my community medicine rotation was to create a pamphlet. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the pamphlet was called "What's a Resident," and uh, the reason was because you know, Clinica Sierra Vista is a community health center. It's a federally qualified health center. And they mm -hmm. were not involved in education before. It's not like, you know, a program like UCLA or USC, you know. The, it was just basically a community medicine, a community clinic that opened a residency program. So many of the people, they didn't know what a resident was. So my first project was to create this pamphlet with pictures of us. This is us and this is what we do. Because people were like, where, where are they? Are they medical students? Are they nurses? Where are they? You know? <laughs> so it was yeah. fun to to teach actually Clinica Sfera Vista about uh, what a resident is and and they have learned a lot. They're still learning because some of mm -hmm. some people they don't know exactly what a residency is. But mm -hmm. that, it was fun to be part of that development, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I but, agree. but yeah. of course not everything was wonderful, right? We had some challenges. <laughs> we had some some growing pains and we still do. But uh, it, it what was your least favorite part? of being a member of the first class? I wouldn't say it was my least favorite part. I think for me, a lot of the frustration was um, being the first class and not having, you know, it's kind of 
helping develop the program is also a double-edged sword because on one side you you get to help develop the program but on the other side then your learning experience is kind of hindered and i think that was the most frustrating part for me as the first year coming through was not having certain rotations set up um and be there and ready to go um i know when we were in our third year trying to find somebody to do like the um, nursing skill facility and rotating through that and not having any experience in that perspective was frustrating. I also know eventually we got our psych um, lecture series started, um, but prior to that, not having that square away and set for us was like frustrating. But other than that, I don't think I wouldn't say it was my least favorite. I think it was my most frustrating experience was having to, yet at the same time, develop the program, but then not getting that portion of your education um, while solidified because it wasn't available. Yeah, and you, Cindy, you were in a, a unique uh, position. You know, I was thinking about you the other day. You know, you were the only woman in the first class. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> you also were the only one who was a non-Spanish speaker. I am. And, um, and you were the only one who was an, an American graduate. So you were in, I, in, in, a, very, in a very interesting position. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. Yes. Even though I was the only woman, I did not. You guys were wonderful. You did not make me feel left out. Um, I really love what I loved about being the pioneer was our first class. We had great collegialness. I think all of us got along very well. Um, and then, you know, in the process of designing the program, we listened to each other and we were very respective of one another, especially when, um, you know, we gave each other's advice and everything from, you know, oh, should we do it this way? Or, you know, and the ideas flow, we kind of accepted one another's idea and we never was very negative towards each other. And that's what I really enjoyed about our first class. Yeah, and we have to mention also that you had the first baby in the residency. Uh, yeah. Yes. So you, you had yes. the baby in the residency, so we wanted to convince you to call the baby Rio Bravo, but you didn't want to. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't think Alex would like that name. <laughs> no, yeah. no, well, yeah. you know, it, it, we have good memories. I was the first of many, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we had our first um, retreat in Santa Barbara. So it was mm -hmm. a great retreat. We spent, uh, I think it was a couple of days in a beautiful place that we had a wonderful view of the ocean. And mm -hmm. I remember that, uh, you know, we, we felt very fortunate to be part of the program. And I still think it was a great training, you know, with um, all the challenges that we had in the, in the first year. You know, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. we had this great opportunity to open up the program. And we hope that it can be, you know, the source of um, uh, or, or a place where many, many more generations can train in the future, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Cindy, I would like to give you this uh, just a few minutes to, you know, give a message to those uh, residents who are now in the program and the residents who are going to come in the future. So just give them some, few, some words of advice or, I don't know, inspiration or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So words of advice, I don't know about being inspirational, but 
course of advice. So for those who aren't here yet and who's dreaming about becoming a resident, whether it's with Rio Bravo or any other residency program out there, you know, don't give up. Um, I think it's the most determined who gets there, not the smartest, not the greatest test score. I can attest to that. Um, even though I'm a U.S. graduate, I wasn't the one with the best test score, but with determination, you can get done and get anywhere. Um, and then for residents who are there, you know, the program is still very young. It's still very um, quite, not quite in this infancy. I think we're moving into taller stage now, but there's still so much more to develop. I mean, from what I heard and speaking with you, Hector, the program has come a long way. So there's still room for opportunity, room for innovation, room for development. And, you know, don't be shy. Um, speak up. Um, Dr. Stewart is wonderful. She's very receptive to listening. Um, and she will work with you to make things happen. Um, although they don't happen quickly, they will eventually happen and gradually get there. So definitely don't give up and keep going and keep trying. Um, and for those who struggle with testing, you know, I was the biggest person who struggled with testing. Um, you know, just keep at it, work on it. It will happen. It's just hard work. We have to work twice as hard as our colleagues. But I think in the end, it's our determination that allows us to get to where we're at. Yeah. And I think, you know, residency is not the end, you know, it's just the beginning, basically. Yeah, we get the, the basics. Beginning. To keep learning so and you can yeah. see that as as you work you keep you keep learning new things every single day yes. so it's just you just set the foundation during your residency and then you continue learning yeah. yeah yes and although you know i mentioned the frustration that came with residency it allowed us to build character allow us to you know keep seeking because like you say hector learning never stopped especially with medicine um you know, new guidelines, new rules, new medication comes out all the time. So making sure that you stay up to date um, is very important, especially for the residents um, that are still in the program. Residents who are about to graduate, you know, depending on what field you go into, whether it's private practice, federally qualified centers, you know, great management, big managed care, you know, definitely think about documentation. I don't think, um, we stress too much. I don't know what you guys are doing now, but as far as documentation, making sure you document enough, um, but then also enough to get paid because that's the other shortfall. If you don't document correctly, you won't get paid. Mm -hmm. Well, Cindy, you know, the invitation is open. The CEO <laughs> position is open. So, you know, <laughs> you can you can come and apply. So uh, I enjoy uh, talking to you and I hope we can, um, you know, see you soon either when you come here to visit or when we go there to visit, you know, the invitation is always open. Yes. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Thank and then so of course, when COVID is over, if I ever travel down that way, definitely <laughs> okay. going to stop by. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Another fun fact. Currently we have residents with at least 17 different backgrounds, and between residents and faculty, we speak nine languages. 90% of our team is bilingual. Next up, we have Fernando Palacios, another member of our first class. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me, first of all. 
uh, for me, it was uh, totally a privilege to be uh, part of the UCLA Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency first class, first of all. Uh, to me, it was very enjoyable at the beginning because uh, I got to work with the best five co-residents that I could possibly think of. I think initially the most challenging thing was for us uh, as residents and having no seniors was to establish a inpatient service with Dr. Stewart, our attending physician. And it was interesting because we had sometimes uh, even more than 10 patients to run on uh, by ourselves, follow up labs, follow up uh, test results, talk to uh, consultants. And it was really challenging to keep up that pace for the whole month that you were in the service and then pass it on to your colleagues. But I think eventually we all did very well. Yeah. You know what? I remember, Fernando, that you were with me in my first inpatient rotation with this, with family medicine. So I don't know if you remember that we were together in the first rotation. I remember when I had to be by myself, you know, I had to go and walk around the ER, you know, looking for patients. Anyways, uh, but I, w I had to go and walk around the ER, you know, and introduce myself and say, hey, guys, do you have any patients from Clinical Sierra Vista that we can take? You know, uh, it was, I had to do that over and over, you know, until actually, until they eventually, they, they got to know us better and then, you know, it has been non-stop ever since. You know, every patient that goes from Clinica Sierra Vista, and, you know, comes to our service. But I remember that, that when I was doing it with you, when I was in, in that rotation with you. That's very true, Hector, yes. I remember exactly all of that. And going back and going back to the inpatient service back as a, as a third year resident and seeing how the inpatient service grew and now that we were seeing patients in the clinic and being admitted and they're saying, hey, you're the same doctor. And I said, of course, we're going to follow you. You're part of our family. We're going to take care of you. And uh, don't worry. We know everything about you because we see you in clinic all the time. And, and they were very happy and the outcomes were great. And the patients got to follow up with us after being discharged from the hospital, which made a winning situation not only for the patient, but also for the, for the residents and for the education of, of the residents as well. Um, you know, it was a pleasure to be with you in that service on my first rotation in family medicine. I mean, you had some experience, you know, hospital care, and uh, it was very pleasant to work with you and Dr. Stewart during those first, um, you know, first weeks of the residency. And um, so that was the most challenging thing. And what was your, let's say, your favorite thing of being a member of the first class? Well, my first, my favorite thing about about uh, about being a resident in the first class was mainly the challenge itself. I enjoyed challenges. So uh, to find myself uh, being new to the hospital, new to the service, introducing myself to other services and getting them to acknowledge us and get to know us uh, was quite challenging. You know, we, we were all over the hospital, you know, cardiology. We were in ICU eventually. We were in the ER. We were fitting in medicine, so uh, to represent our class and try to uh, fulfill not only their expectations, but our expectations, and I think all of us went above and beyond, and I think we set a good tone for the next coming class, uh, and I felt that now coming out of residency, uh, I was very well trained. I really enjoyed uh, being part of that 
of the first class, and I mainly want to thank Dr. Stewart for being our supporter and being pretty much uh, um, the person that kind of motivated myself and I'm sure all of my other colleagues to eventually perform well, and I hope we all met her expectations, and I was very proud that our class had a 100% pass rate in our boards. And um, I, and if I had to go back and if somebody asked me, hey, would you choose this residency? If you had the chance to go back, would you do it again? And I would say 100% without any doubts. That's great to hear that. And, you know, talking about the clinic, um, we started the clinic in Greenfield. You know, it was not a clinic um, created for us, but it was our home for, uh, I don't know, I remember how many months, like six months. So, and I remember going to our new clinic, you know. I remember even driving by when the, oh, there, was only, there was only like the foundations and only the walls with no ceiling, you know, and thinking, wow, that's going to be our clinic in the future, you know. And when finally it got open in March 2015, you know, it was great to walk in there for the first time. Brand new floor, ceilings, walls, beautiful, a beautiful building. So it was a very good experience too. Um, so I don't know if you remember those days when we went to the clinic for the first time. Yeah, that was great. Actually, I remember the staff over at uh, the Greenfield office was actually new. They were getting to know us and, and just as we were already getting comfortable there. Finally, we had our own uh, clinic uh, over on Niles which is uh, fabulous, it's spacious. We had uh, lots of rooms for each of our residents to work with and see the patients. Uh, we incorporated ultrasound, we incorporated OB. So much things have grown since uh, the program started. And uh, I was glad to be part of that. And um, yeah, uh, I we remember had some great times in the clinic. I remember you created the first uh, pamphlet or the first uh, handout about procedures. Remember, procedure clinic. We we didn't have anybody. Like we had to start calling other clinics to bring or to send patients to us. You know, for toenails, for skin procedures, for joint injections. And I remember you were involved in that first rotation for ambulatory surgery. So it was great to know that. It was great that you yes, did. Yes, I that. remember exactly. Because we wanted to create a, uh, a, well, you know, we wanted to incorporate the clinic and have some kind of procedures uh, that we can offer the community and the patient. So, what well, best way was to kind of get the word out and make a flyer saying what procedures we could do in our office, uh, uh, office-based procedures such as uh, ingrown tail removals, uh, circumcisions, uh, colposcopy, IUD placements, and so forth. So, we made that flyer. Uh, it was approved by our attendings, and then we distributed out to uh, the ER at Current Medical Center. We distributed out in other services as well. Uh, we also gave it to the pediatric service uh, since there was really no one around to do uh, circumcisions at the time for the newborns. And uh, we kind of took it, and it, it started paying off. And then we started having a lot of procedures, uh, the residents, um got to do all kinds of procedures and and uh, that's the best experience that not only I have for myself but uh, we created for the next coming class yeah and and when you were in the residency too 
we had our first uh, visit by the ACGME. I don't know if you remember that. We had the the president that one of the programs in 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 another city in a nearby city in Fresno that was just like our program. Uh, it got closed, so we were kind of like concerned about that ACGME visit. I don't know if you remember that. But they asked us a few questions. We came up with uh, five weaknesses and five uh, strengths of the program. And we were actually very nervous. But then at the end, I'm glad that we passed the test and we continued our, our accreditation uh, as a residency. It was a great experience. Yeah, I was, was very surprising, you know, being the first class and, and trying to show the ACGME that we are, even though we're a program still was in the infancy, we were trying to show them that this program had potential. And and I think that getting together, I remember we were in meetings and then trying to come up with the strengths of the program and try to come up with the weakness of the program. And I think it was a team effort. And I think that uh, that's one of my favorite things that I recall is the, the unity that we had as the first class when it came down to things such as ACGME um, accreditation and other issues that we encountered during our residency as well. Yeah, and I think we all had, uh, you know, a few things in common. You know, many of us in the first class, we had some kind of experience in other areas, you know, and uh, you brought your experience as a PA, so, and then other of uh, my colleagues, they had experiences in other countries and with was Spanish, uh, Spanish word to our patients. And uh, so it was it was a good class, you know, and I'm glad that I was part of it with you and, and with Cindy, with Josue, with Chiquillo and with Adan. And uh, I'm, I'm so proud of all of us, you know, because we have been uh, doing very good in, in, in the years after residency. So um, do you have any message, uh, Fernando, for the current class, the current classes in, in, in our residency? And for the future classes? Yeah, I, I to the uh, class that is there now, and they're probably going to be graduating pretty soon in in um, next uh, June. Uh, I was fortunate to see them grow. I seen them when they were medical students. You know, Dr. Gomez, Dr. Uh, um, Patel, I believe. Um, and my message to them is, you know, keep up working hard. Uh, residency is very challenging. And even after you graduate, uh, there's always um, growth beyond residency. And I think that this residency will make you uh, a very well-rounded physician. And I think you'll be very successful in your future endeavors. And for the new incoming class, I think that if you really take a look at this program, you're going to see and feel not only that this program is uh, going to train you and get you where you want to be, but also has a sense of unity, a sense of family, uh, which I think trickles down from the leadership of Dr. Stewart uh, going to our um, sound trips and uh, doing a lot of activities, our Halloween parties, and not only incorporating our uh, loved ones and families and our coordinators, but everybody was involved. So I think that you, everybody's trying to make you and train you 
so you can be that great physician that you want to be. Yeah, thank you. And I hope, Fernando, that you can come one of these days, you know, and hang out with us. I know that you are very busy, but maybe for graduation or for Halloween party or something. And don't forget about Bakersfield, that uh, there is people here who love you, and people who appreciate what you did for us. So don't forget about us, okay? Thank you so much, doctor. Okay, it was a pleasure talking to you. Have a good night, Dr. Palacios. Okay, thank you very much. And now, the person who needs no introduction, Dr. Carol Stewart, our program director. Okay, and here we have the one and only, La Mera Mera, Dr. Stewart. So I'm actually glad that I finally was able to convince her to come to the microphone today. Thank you, Dr. Stewart, for being here. So, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, some things about the residency, and you're going to hear from the... Uh, the star of this program, the heart of this program is Dr. Stewart. So Dr. Stewart, um, so I, I, I told you that I wanted to ask you three questions, basically. What do you think has been the biggest challenges that we have had in a residency? I think our challenges have changed over time. Um, initially, the hardest uh, hurdle we had was uh, attracting other faculty to come and help us as we grew. Um, now I think we're at a really good place um, with the group of faculty that we have, many of whom we have um, groomed ourselves to become the faculty that they are. Uh, the, the phrase is grow your own, um, and I think we've done a really good job with that. Um, COVID has become a real challenge this year, um, both in terms of providing clinical material for the residents and affecting pretty much every day of our lives and everything that we do. Even our interviews this year have to be virtual and we're all scrambling to catch up with technology tech, technology, and um, figure out if we can really pick out quote unquote good residents just from a Zoom meeting. Yeah, definitely uh, COVID has been a, a recent challenge in our residency. And like you mentioned before, we actually struggled <laughs> trying to convince people to come to Bakersfield but I think we're doing a good job with that and um, just as a reminder we mentioned this this anecdote before you know Dr. Stewart had to take the calls at night in our first year and she actually did um, the admissions for us at night hopefully there were not too many but uh, we're glad that she was able to make the sacrifice during the first year and um so since we opened our program, you know, we have had some improvements. And uh, so I just wanted to give the opportunity to Dr. Stewart to tell us some of those improvements or, uh, you know, the biggest accomplishments that we have had during the, the residency. I'm always going to lean towards the people. Um, there's physical things that we've accomplished and they're exciting and important. But I think our biggest accomplishment is... Um, producing the quality physicians that have graduated from our program um, and it really warms my heart that so many of them have um, not only stayed with Clinica but in other FQHCs around the state to serve the patients that really need it the most. Yeah and, uh, and I think um, you know something that we have accomplished that maybe we don't we don't see is like um, having a role in this community you know I feel like we have grown um, to become more known in the, in our community, in our medical community, and in our community in general. 
you know, we have good relationships with other specialists in our community, including private practices in radiology, dermatology, occupational medicine, and, and more. So I feel like uh, we have become more known in our community, and we're fulfilling a, a social role, an educational role in this area. So I also am very proud of the diversity of our residency because we have residents, I have counted at least 17 different backgrounds. And between residents and faculty, we speak nine languages, nine different languages. And 90% of us are bilingual, including Dr. Stewart. She thinks that she's not bilingual, but she speaks Spanish. And Muy my, poco. Mom, <laughs> my mom can tell you that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Dr. Stewart, what do you see um, the, resident, the, the residency in the future? Um, I hope that in some ways something stayed the same. Um, I hope that our, our efforts to maintain a diverse um, physician population uh, continue. Um, I hope that we are continuing to be successful in placing our graduates into areas of unmet need. Um, maybe I'll actually learn more Spanish. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and there are some things that are in our future. You know, I know POCOS is going to continue to grow in the research. We hope that we can continue to produce more, um, you know, more knowledge for our medical community in, in this nation. And also, we hope that we can increase our programs in the ob continue to increase our training and procedures. And, um, yeah, and of course, we hope this podcast can continue to grow, too. Well, I, I know that you're a very modest doctor, but I believe that the podcasts are on the top of the list of one of the things that we're very proud of. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Stewart. And um, so any words for the candidates that are going to be listening to this audio file? Oh, my goodness. One of the students asked me uh, what I recommended um, for getting ready for her interviews, and I said, wear pants. Um <laughs> This is, you have to understand that I, as nervous as you all are about interview, interviewing virtually, we are on the same page with you because we don't know what to expect either. This is new for everybody. Um, we hope that our technology holds up when we have interviews, that you can hear us, that we can hear you, um, that we don't miss, you know, quality people because of silly things like um, drop calls or bad internet connections. Um, but hopefully, you know, in the end, everyone will prevail and we'll be able to pick out good people for next year, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Stewart, for those kind words. And thank you for the, the information you shared. And uh, I just want to let you know that we appreciate everything that you have done for the residency. And this residency is what it is right now, thanks to the effort from many people, uh, but mainly because of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Reza. <laughs> Now we conclude our first season with episode number 34, a bonus episode about Rio Bravo's history. We appreciate everyone who has set the foundation of our program, and we anticipate a brilliant future as we continue to expand and improve. Thank you for listening. See you in the next season. Thank you for listening to Rio Bravo QE. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicaseravista.org or visit our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. 
This week, we thank Lisa Manzanares, Tana Parker, Stephen Schilling, Sandra Lopez, Cindy Herr, Fernando Palacios, Carol Stewart, and Hector Ariaza. Audio by Sarajam Ruthia. See you next season!